Good morning. In today's headlines, White House and Republican leaders move to build congressional support for the debt ceiling deal. Some senators vow to make changes if it makes it past the House. The bill heads to the Rules Committee today. We have the details. The Atlantic hurricane season is set to start on June 1st. We take a look at how victims of last year's Hurricane Ian are coping eight months on from the deadly storm. College attendance has been plunging across the U.S. and blue-collar work may be a bit more in vogue. We hear from some experts on the necessity of college. Should we replace sugar with sugar substitutes for weight loss? The WHO told us not to. We ask an expert why that is. And the story of a military veteran who stepped out of her comfort zone. She now uses her craft to restore what she says is missing from today's generation. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Tuesday, May 30th. And the debt ceiling drama tops the news yet again, Evelyn, and it's no surprise. I mean, as we've covered, President Biden gave in a lot to Republican demands, and his lack of transparency with the Democrats led many to think he couldn't put the right spin on the agreement, which might hurt him in 2024. But on the other hand, there is a big positive for Democrats because they won't have to deal with the debt ceiling until after the presidential election. And down the road, most Americans aren't going to be thinking of the details, just that the deal got done. That is a good point, Evelyn. And we know your time is valuable. So here are the details in the debt limit deal between President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. There's just a few, just a week left until the U.S. hits its deadline for default. White House and Republican leaders are racing to build bipartisan support so they can get enough votes to move the deal to the president's desk. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the situation. The bipartisan agreement could face a rocky path through Congress. President Biden says he and McCarthy agree default is not on the table and that reducing the deficit is necessary. I'm all for reducing, continuing to reduce the deficit. And, uh, but we all, we both talked about the need for a bipartisan agreement. We have to be in a position where we can sell it to our constituencies. We're pretty well divided in the House, almost down the middle, and it's not any different in the Senate. So we've got to get something that can sell to both sides. The deal would suspend the debt limit into 2025 after the presidential election and cap spending for the next two years. But the details of the Fiscal Responsibility Act have drawn criticism from hardliners of both parties, with some Republicans saying budget cuts don't go far enough, and some Democrats saying it will impact low-income Americans. The House Rules Committee will consider the deal on Tuesday. Some Republicans on the committee have been critical of the agreement, and Representatives Ralph Norman and Chip Roy have voiced stern opposition to it. If they vote against the bill, it will need Democrat support to advance it out of committee for a full House vote. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is calling for Republicans in the upper chamber to quickly pass the bill if it makes it through the House. Senator Mike Lee suggested the proposal will face a rough ride in the Senate. He tweeted that he'll be using every procedural tool at his disposal to impede any deal without substantial spending and budgetary reforms. Senator Lindsey Graham took issue with the defense budget and called it welcome news to China. He's promising to do everything in his power to undo what he called a catastrophe. The biggest winner of the Biden defense budget is China because they'll have a, small, a bigger Navy uh, and it will be Putin. He said in a tweet Monday that he supports raising the debt limit for 90 days to have a chance to correct the disaster for defense. Amendment votes could delay the bill's passage past the Treasury's June 5th deadline for default. A vote in the House is expected on Wednesday.
Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Get to more politics for you. Republicans are hoping to weaken Democrats' grip on black and Latino voters. The two groups have been among the most loyal segments of the Democratic coalition for decades. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on their strategy. The GOP could have a real opportunity in 2024. This with the Republican Party's increasingly diverse leadership backed by evolving politics on issues like crime and immigration. Republican presidential contender Vivek Ramaswamy recently ventured to Chicago's South Side to meet with potential voters. These are people who are sick and tired of professional politicians in both parties. The GOP White House hopeful is a child of Indian immigrants. I think the more we're able to talk about the commonality we share as Americans, the more we're able to revive e pluribus unum. E pluribus unum is a traditional motto of the United States. It is Latin for out of many, one. Race has emerged as a significant issue in the 2024 presidential election as the GOP runs one of its most racially diverse classes in history. In most cases, the non-white candidates downplay the significance of their race and oppose policies around policing, voting law changes and education specifically aimed at minority communities. I'm against race-based reparations, and I think I was very clear about that, and not everyone in the room agreed with me. As for Ramaswamy, he has promised to defend Trump's America First agenda. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. We're going to head over to California. A once dry lake is full again thanks to massive amounts of water from winter storms. In fact, the lake has grown so much, it's almost the size of Lake Tahoe, California's largest lake. NTD heard from locals who were amazed but also concerned. Tulare Lake was once the largest body of freshwater west of the Mississippi. However, in the 1900s, it dried up after its tributaries were diverted for irrigating crops and municipal water use. But now the lake is back from the dead thanks to snowmelt from this year's winter storms. I am amazed. I didn't think it went out this far and I'm just curious like how deep it is and yeah, I'm, it's pretty cool. Tulare Lake is sometimes referred to as a ghost lake or phantom lake due to its cycles of drying up completely, then coming back as a small lake following some wet years. We heard that this was all farmland and it was dried up since the 90s and with all the rain we've had that it filled up and we expected like a little pond. We couldn't believe when we pulled up and saw, like look at the barn way over there. We couldn't believe how much water was here. Before the dam, this was all lake. I mean, there's nothing to control the water during the springtime and this always full of water, always had water. So just how big has Tulare Lake grown? It's now roughly 180 square miles, nearly the same size as Lake Tahoe, California's largest lake. While the water has been a welcomed relief, the unexpected rise of the Ghost Lake is raising flooding concerns among some. I've been keeping up with it and I know that it's getting higher and higher and fuller and fuller, so I'm just concerned about, you know, what, what could happen later on. And the snow is still melting and it's just going to get hotter, so. There's too much water this year because of all the snow. We had so much snow. And now it's getting so hot, it's all melting and that's why we're getting this. And it'll get worse before it goes away. It'll, it'll take years for it to go away, don't you think? Because this is clay. It's got a lot of clay and the clay turns to like cement and it doesn't absorb into the ground. The last time Tulare Lake disappeared was in the 1980s. It took two years, beginning in 1983, to completely dry out. 
The housing struggles have continued for Florida residents in the wake of Hurricane Ian, which hit about eight months ago. That's right. And let's hear from NTD's Daniel Monahan, who has more on their stories. A new hurricane season is set to begin on June 1st, but recovery from last year's hurricane is far from complete in hard-hit Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel, and Pine Island. In southwest Florida, piles of debris are a common sight, while demolition and construction work is ongoing across the region. Some people, like Fort Myers Beach resident Jacqueline Velasquez, are living in campers or tents on their property, waiting on slow-to-arrive insurance checks to rebuild their lives. In a snap of the finger, your life is never going to be the same. Robert and Cindy's mobile home was totaled by the storm surge. They spent months living with friends and family until a hotel room was finally provided through FEMA. They can stay there until March of next year while they look for a new home. Yeah, we just, it's we've been, been in limbo. We just, you it's know. been an emotional ride, for sure. Michael Salora says he had a job in a house before the storm. After the storm, I have no more house. This is my house. This is my house for me and my dog. Salora, a chef, has a new job in another location of the Naughty Parrot restaurant on the mainland. But insurance only paid off the outstanding loan amount on his destroyed camper, and he didn't qualify for FEMA aid. With so many people in limbo, places like the heavily damaged Beach Baptist Church in Fort Myers Beach provide a lifeline. They run a food pantry, a hot lunch stand, showers, and even laundry facilities for anyone to use. Pastor Sean Kritzer said about 1,200 families per month are being served at the church through donated goods. Um, I'm still calling it a CRC, not a food pantry, um, because we want our community to use this as a resource for whatever it is they need. Debbie Sams is a coordinator at the church. It's all, we have a lot of people in need. Everyone's in need, even when they think they're not in need. As for businesses, many remain shuttered in Sanibel as they are being repaired. Seven local retail stores have moved into a shopping center in mainland Fort Myers. Calling themselves the Sanibel 7, they are hoping to continue to operate while awaiting insurance payouts and construction permits before returning to the island. Bookstore owner Rebecca Binkowski says that one of the nicest things about Sanibel was the absence of chain businesses. It was a lot of mom and pop's shops and you hope that that remains. Forecasters predict up to nine hurricanes for the 2023 Atlantic season. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Still to come, college attendance has been plunging across the U.S. and some students are considering alternatives. We hear from experts on the necessity of a college degree. And we bring you the unusual sport of cheese rolling. Runners in the UK test their speed and agility as they chase down a steep slope after a huge hunk of cheese. Get that story and more after the break. Welcome back. College attendance has been plunging across the country, especially after COVID. Yes, and when people stopped going to school during the lockdowns, many continued not going to school. And it seems like blue-collar work is becoming a bit more in vogue, as well as better paying. So is it still as necessary to go to college? Entities Colin Fredrickson looks into it. Undergraduate college attendance has plummeted by nearly 9% over the past few years. 
More and more people are choosing blue-collar jobs, which are currently in high demand. Meanwhile, people are turned off by colleges because of their high costs and unsatisfying returns. So is it still necessary to have a college degree? Absolutely not, and it never really was. We had this kind of societal misconception that we really started to kick into high gear pretty much in the 90s or so that carries on today, that everyone had to go to college. And if you didn't go to college, it was, uh, it was because something was wrong with you that you had failed, which is just absolutely not true. Nicholas Creel is a business law professor at Georgia College and State University. He says people can still make a lot of money and contribute great value to society without a college degree. He says stigmatizing those without a college degree doesn't make sense. We should never have abandoned those kinds of training programs at the high school level and perhaps even earlier in the middle school level. And blue-collar wages are currently high, and they're expected to remain high. Meanwhile, most Americans don't think college is worth it. According to a recent Wall Street Journal poll, 56% said that's because people graduate without specific job skills and with a large amount of debt. It's not worth it. If you're paying, let's say, uh, anywhere from forty to $200,000 for your, your tuition uh, over a four-year you know, college institution, and you're going out and you're getting a $70,000 paying job, uh, you know, with some of these degrees that, that are being offered, and they're not really um, preparing for the workforce today. Aaron Rafferty is a co-founder of Battle Packs, an organization that works closely with college students. He says the schools that are worth it are the ones that are keeping up with generative artificial intelligence. Generative AI is transforming the white-collar workforce, and institutions that aren't taking that into account aren't properly preparing students for the world. Turning now to a somewhat unusual English tradition, cheese rolling. In the annual competition in the UK, runners chase a seven pound hunk of cheese down a very steep hill, and the winner gets to keep the cheese. NTD's Malcolm Hudson was there. In the idyllic English countryside, hidden in the woods, hundreds of people gather for <laughs> cheese rolling. A seven pound wheel of cheese is released down the incredibly steep hill and dozens of people hurtle after it, sometimes flying through the air as much as the cheese itself. People come from all across the world, like this man from Tennessee. So you've just uh, run down the hill, how do you feel? Oh, it's exhilarating, it was so much fun. Historical records for this extreme sporting tradition date back at least 200 years, and it's believed to be around 600 years old. There are multiple races throughout the day, and the winner of each race wins the cheese. And uh, how do you feel having won the race? Uh, we're excited, <laughs> but I can't, I, can't, I can't eat cheese. <laughs> we can't eat cheese. The world-famous event went ahead despite safety concerns from the local council. There are often injuries of one kind or another. A sports team catches people at the bottom of the hill. They say they've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah, they come down at some pace, right? But we're used to it, so. Yeah, it's good fun. You see all the people running down, you get a good view as well. It's always good, especially as there's thousands of people here. So, yeah, we just put our shoulders on the line and smash them, really. They also help people who have been hurt. Stewie Hendry sets the races and comes dressed for the parts. This hat's like 14 years old. It's like living a dream. I can't believe it's still together. I wash it this year. My wife's like, why have you still got that? <laughs> this old tradition means a lot to the locals. And for everyone involved, it's good old-fashioned fun. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News. Wow, that looks so... I've actually heard of it, and I, apparently people come out with uh, 
broken bones here and there. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, maybe a helmet could help in that case. Or that hat. It's a great <laughs> vibe there, it looks like. Yeah, those Brits with their rugby and their cheese rolling. And mm -hmm. Evelyn, did you know that cheese can even reach speeds up to 70 miles an hour? Wow. I know, it's pretty fast. And I expect people chasing after it are going pretty fast, too, as mm, we can see. That's right. It's nice to see so many people gathering to watch, though. Yeah, and people from all over the world take part in it. Mm. All right. After the World Health Organization released new guidance that tells us to avoid sugar substitutes, we wanted to find out more. So I spoke to a health expert who told us what it does to our body and what we can use instead. Joining me now is Christine Callender, a family nurse practitioner. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course, first of all, I really want to know why shouldn't we use sugar substitutes to lose weight? And I mean, are we talking about all kinds of sweeteners here? So in general, any kind of sweetener is going to affect your body on a metabolic level, whether it's a real sweetener like honey or maple syrup or table sugar, or if it's your fake sweeteners. So your Splenda, which is sucralose, or your aspartame, which is like your NutraSweet. So pink packet, yellow packet, blue packet, doesn't really matter what color you choose. All of them are gonna affect your body on a metabolic level. And some of those things are better for weight loss than others. And so we really have to look at these fake sugars as a whole and not as just a substitute, so to speak, because they really change us on a physiologic level more than they just give us a sweet taste in the mouth. That's interesting. So when you say there is some are better for weight loss, are, is it recommended to, to consume them as well? Or is it just, you know, better for weight loss, but? <laughs> So the WHO just came out with a study where they really just evaluated a bunch of information that had already been previously published and kind of pulled it together into a big article showing that especially for weight loss, it's not beneficial, but in general, probably not the greatest thing that we can do for our health because of the fact that those metabolic changes then will can affect us in the long run from a weight perspective, but also from a general health perspective. Some of these sweeteners actually have an inflaming effect on our body where it creates a little bit of like mild swelling, so to speak, because it's kind of what inflammation is on the inside. So it can affect our the lining of our gut. It can affect um, just how our body is working in general. But their biggest issue is that when we take in something sweet, whether it has calories in it or not, our body still wants to respond to it like it's sugar and that it's that we're bringing in calories that need to be utilized by the cells. So when we take that in and our body raises our insulin levels, but we don't have anything to go into the cells, it actually pushes us further and further down the, the trail of uh, insulin resistance, which leads to type 2 diabetes, but can also lead to retaining weight versus losing weight. Wow. All right. So what should we turn to instead then? So they didn't come out with a, a hard and firm recommendation on what to do. And so that's more where your practitioner is going to come into play. Just because depending on your health conditions, do you have type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes? Are you battling a pre-diabetic condition or are you, you know, right now in great health? Everything in moderation is kind of, you know, how I push most of my patients. But in general, most of your natural sugars actually come with a little bit of a benefit with the exception of table sugar. So using maple syrup, molasses, honey, um, those are all good sugars for us to take in. One, they typically have less calories when we're comparing them like tablespoon to tablespoon when it, with sugar, but 
but they also come with some nutrients and some other benefits. Honey's really good to take in if you're battling seasonal allergies and you're getting local honey. If you're looking for a sweetener that doesn't have any calories, looking for a natural sweetener that's calorie free is a better option than something that's calorie free but comes from a lab. So stevia, monk fruit, and xylitol would be better options than taking in um, sucralose or uh, aspartame when it comes to your, your zero calorie sugars. That's great to know. So thank you so much, Christine Callender. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me on. Have a blessed day. Up next, a 100-year-old World War II veteran has a unique hobby, rebuilding classic cars. Find out what keeps a local legend motivated after the break. Welcome back. In Taiwan, a military veteran is now a renowned needle felting expert who handcrafts her own signature art pieces. She shared her story with NTD and the meaning behind her unique artworks. Let's take a look. Lei Xiao Chen is a native of Taiwan who served 16 years in Taiwan's Navy as a petty officer first class. In 2017, she decided to leave her military career behind and start her own business in needle felting. Actually, I have always been interested in art and handcrafts since I was little, so I have always had a connection with handcrafts. Lei told NTD she came across the needle felting handicraft three years before she retired from the military, but starting something new was not an easy decision for her. I think people need to step out of their so-called comfort zone, and that requires a lot of motivation. For me personally, that motivation was realizing that we can do much more meaningful things, and that realization was a breakthrough for me. Lay explained that needle felting is not only good for practical items, such as woolen hats, socks, and yurts, but also has an artistic side and can be used to create delicate artworks. For Lay, she chose polo buns as her main product, focusing on making bread-shaped keychains, earrings, bags, and pouches in different sizes. Initially, in Central Asia and West Asia, needle felting was being used to make construction materials, such as Mongolian yurts. So needle felting has a long history, and I am using it in my creations. Lei explained that the legacy of the bread is tied to a common memory shared by Taiwanese people who lived in the 1970s. As a child, Lei lived in a military-dependent village. Every day when the food van arrived carrying bread, all the children would rush toward it, making it a memorable scene with everyone in the village gathering there. When that food van carrying bread opens its doors, we see bread that's common in Taiwan. And I feel that deep own, people feel a sense of warmth. Lei said the symbolic bread is a representation of a long tradition, living together in harmony. And that nowadays such food vans no longer exist, and it's no longer easy to find the kind of bread she had in her childhood. I want to use this type of art to restore what is missing in our generation now, and that is the connection between individuals. That's why I created this brand. Our brand mainly uses bread to wake people up to their innate kindness and sincerity. Lay sells her handmade wool felt products and some selected do-it-yourself items through her website, baobaohandmade.com. 
An Australian World War II veteran is rebuilding his 16th classic car. The 100-year-old built his first car after the war ended in 1945 and has no plans to slow down now. That's right, NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on what keeps his engine running. Cliff Byfield still enjoys his craft, even at the ripe age of 100. For him, classic car restoration is about passion, not recognition. I love what I've done, and I hope other people will appreciate what I've done. Not because I want any kudos, it's just that they've created something that you hope people will like. The cars Byfield built during his lifetime are collector's items, and his craft keeps him busy. It's what keeps me going. Got to get up tomorrow morning because I've got a job to do. In the Perth classic car community, Byfield is a legend. Not surprising after almost 80 years in the industry, especially considering his bare bones operation. He works on cars in his backyard. He doesn't have uh, the luxury of a, of a large manufacturing base. It, it's quite, quite unbelievable what he has been able to achieve. For Byfield, age is just a number, and he's not planning to retire anytime soon. Stop. Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, how do you put this? Yes, when they cart me off in, uh, in a box. For this local legend, the end of the ride still seems miles away. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. All right, we want to wrap it up here. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as usual. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. That's it for today. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.